Hey there, welcome back. On last week's podcast, I told you that in looking back, there's not much that I would have done differently in the courses that I've taken or the designations that I've gotten or chose not to get or the certifications that I've gotten and why or in the order that I took them. But on today's show, I'm calling this part two. If I had known then what I know now, how might I have done things differently? Because Last week, I neglected to or forgot to tell you one of the biggest things I would have done differently, (laughs) and I apologize about that. By the way, if you're new here, welcome to the Edible Gardens podcast. I'm your host, Nanette Blair, and I'm so glad that you found us. We help people create edible and beautiful landscapes that are way better than organic because I'm on a mission. My mission is to make good food accessible to everyone. And in my opinion, the best definition of good food is nutritious, delicious, and safe. And it doesn't get any better than picking fresh fruit, herbs, veggies straight off the plant where you know what went into it from start to finish. You won't find any tomato cages here. As a matter of fact, there's a lot you won't find here, including pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or any of the other sides. But what you will find here are landscapes that are designed for beauty, fun, reflection, and the list goes on to whatever you want because it's your home, your yard, your taste, and beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, you know that garden you've been thinking about? Well, I know you're ready. I know I'm ready, so let's dig in. Okay, so what would I have done differently? And I'm just going to tell you from the very beginning, I really would have paid a lot more attention to ornamental or traditional landscaping plants. And here's why. Because I've been doing it, and by it I mean in a beyond organic way, you could call it permaculture, you could call it companion planting, the Back to Eden method, or soil food web grown, which is all very way beyond organic. But I call it beyond organic because even organic pesticides are still killing the life in the soil. So I have learned that all of the prescribed plants that they tell you about, whether it's in uh, companion planting or in permaculture like dynamic accumulators or fumigants or nitrogen fixers, all of those guild building, um, establishment building, uh, excuse me, how do they say that? It's... (laughs) Uh, Building an establishment guild, some people call it build a guild, basically trying to mimic nature, they give us a list of prescribed plants. And everybody believes you got to go out and find comfrey, or you need to go out and find this plant or that plant because all these permaculture people are saying this is what you need to do, right? And basically, those are just options. That's a suggestion. That is one plant or a list of plants when I say prescribed, I mean prescribed. These are suggestions for you. And these are just suggestions. I had a real eye-opening conversation with a listener who said, oh, you mean I can plant irises as uh, what what niche does it fill? She was saying, I love irises. My grandmother had irises and I've loved them ever since I was a child. And I would love to have some irises, but I didn't know that they would actually serve a purpose. And it it really kind of took me back because it was something that I had learned on my own. This wasn't anything that anybody told me. You know, everybody likes to have 
any kind of method, whether it's dieting or anything else, kind of as a pre-prescribed, this is what you do. You eat this first and then you eat this next and you don't eat that and you eat this and, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. But if you understand why, you know, you plant this plant or that plant, then you can substitute it for whatever else makes sense or is going to solve that problem. I told this listener, sure, they attract pollinators. And I really, I really didn't even think about it. And then I've heard other people say, oh, well, you mean you can grow snapdragons? You know, whenever I went through the permaculture course, it was basically, you know, there was a list of plants that were suggested for pollinators, maybe because they were also edible or they were also medicinal or for whatever reason. But you can have any kind of flower that you want. Um, you can have any kind of overstory that you want. It doesn't have to be a fruit tree. It doesn't have to be a nitrogen fixer. You can have whatever you want. So really, basically, it really depends on your space. You know, I'm always saying that budget is not just about finances. It's about time. It's about space. How much space do you have available, right? It's kind of like, how much money do you have available? How much time do you have available? How much space do you have available? So it really just kind of depends. And I really believe in using what you already have there. Again, I go back to the easiest way to do edible landscaping. I believe this was episode three. The easiest way to start an edible landscape is to use the existing landscape that you already have. If that means you have crepe myrtles or you have uh, boxwoods, there may be some things that you want to take out and put in and you can use what you have. If you have an oak tree, use the oak tree as your overstory. You don't have to pull everything out to have an edible landscape. Okay, so let's go back to this. So, um... So it basically, it was just a suggestion, right? All of these lists of plants that they're suggesting is not what you have to use. It may not work in the area that you're in. I wish I knew more about ornamentals now. In in last week's episode, I said that I was just so zoned in on food that I didn't really understand all of the different things that that diversity can do for you. So it's really a matter of if you have a certain type of species of plant in the ground, it's going to attract a different set of biology. It's going to cause a different chemical reaction. And the microbiology, all of the protozoa, nematodes, microarthropods, bacteria that's in the soil it's going to be attracted to the roots, uh, a different set of microbiology is going to be attracted to different types of plants, different types of plants. They're going to put the roots down into the soil. They're going to mine up different types of nutrients, right? It's going to cause to happen a different kind of chemical reaction. So diversity is so important. And this is one of those things in landscape, in landscaping principles. If you go look at a Monty Don Netflix show or someone like him, which I love them. I love what they do. I so admire what they're doing. But one of the, the rules, not Monty Don specifically, but P. Allen Smith, so many people will say you really need to keep your landscaping plants to a maximum of X number. 
I've heard seven, I've heard 13. And that's, you know, a lot of these homeowners like, yeah, I really want a lot more than that. But okay, I'm going to keep it to just these number of plants. And the reason that they say that is you don't want it to be too busy. You don't want it to be too chaotic. You want to have kind of a rhythm and flow in your landscape. I've kind of overcome this or I've kind of gone around what they say is the acceptable limits of landscaping plants by saying, you know what, I'm going to do it with texture and I'm going to do it with color. So I'm going to try to keep the colors uh, with a certain rhythm and flow and the textures with a certain rhythm and flow. So I'm going to talk a lot more about this and show some demonstrations on the YouTube channel, because this is something that's just not possible to do on a podcast. So I'll let you know when those videos go up and what I mean by texture. And if you've been doing gardening for any length of time, then you'll know what I mean. But, you know, a texture could be a large leaf is one texture, an umbral, which that's kind of hard to explain. It's flowers that look like an umbrella is a different kind of texture. Something that's very woody has a different kind of texture. And then the colors, you know, you want to kind of stick to the same color theme or not. It's up to you. Like I'm always saying, it's your yard, your home, your taste. But I think that you have just have to try it. But anyway, so getting back to the ornamentals. But as long as you can kind of understand Mother Nature's algorithm, so most people think of algorithm as something that happens in a computer, but algorithm, this is the definition, uh, a process or set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem-solving operations, especially in a computer. So <laughs> what I mean by this is the problem-solving part of it. So if you are trying to cover the ground, then you're just looking for, if you're in a nursery and you're just looking for a plant that's going to be a ground cover, that's it. Now, I like to use something like strawberries or thyme or sweet alyssum because I've learned about those in companion planting or in permaculture or somewhere else in some of the courses that I've taken. But I also see other plants that are aesthetically pleasing to me. And so what I have to decide is, do I dedicate the space to a plant that's non-edible? And we're going to get more into that here in just a few minutes. But it's basically just understanding that algorithm that goes back to that ecological succession, right? So you've got all of these layers to a forest. And I talk about this back in, that would have been episode two. And it was understanding the one thing that makes all the difference in the garden. And that really has more to do with the life in the soil, you know, not breaking up that fungal web. So how does that relate to ornamental landscaping? Okay, so but the other part of that is understanding the algorithm, and I'm just calling it an algorithm, okay? This is not anything that anybody else is saying. This is my word right now. I'm claiming this word in understanding what Mother Nature does. It's just understanding the niche that it plays. So as long as you are picking out an ornamental plant, and when I say ornamental, there's a lot of plants that are actually edible that people don't even think about them being edible. Right now, one of the things that I'm really looking at is tulips. 
I want to do a lot more bulbs. And this is what I was kind of referring to in last week's show when I said I was a part of a conversation. It was, was more about ornamentals. And um, I kind of let everything go in one ear and out the other, but some stuff stuck. Well, I remember they were talking about you can plant several layers of bulbs in basically the same place. Some One of the bulbs may come up, you know, at the very first part of the spring. And then another bulb comes up when that bulb plays out and another bulb that's planted. So you have one that's maybe buried six inches deep, four inches, a little bit beside it, not right on top of it. And then another one is buried at four inches. And then another one is buried at two inches. And they all kind of come up at different times and then they play out at different times. So that was the conversation that I was talking about, and I really do wish that I had paid more attention to that, and that's something that I'm looking into now. This is not something that I'm really very versed at, being able to layer those bulbs to where they all come up in sequential order, where this one comes up first in spring, then this one comes up next, and then this one comes up and it's up all summer, and then maybe another one comes up later that is in the fall. I don't know. But that's something that I'm really looking into, but I'm looking at tulips. And, you know, I, I've i seen this in movies where they'll use, I've never eaten tulips, <laughs> but I've seen this in movies where they'll sprinkle it on a salad or in a five-star restaurant uh, where they'll sprinkle it on a salad or something, or they'll use it as a garnish. So as long as it's not sprayed with chemicals, it's edible. Well, that's the same way with anything else. It, it just really kind of floors me. I did do a real quick Google search on, are tulips edible? Because I think I've seen that. And um, it did say that specifically with tulips, that they are edible if they haven't been sprayed with any kind of toxins. Well, I think it's kind of ironic because... <laughs> <laughs> the same thing happens with broccoli, right? So broccoli is edible as long as you don't spray it with pesticides. So anyway, I don't know why they specifically say that about tulips and not everything else. I just think that was just kind of a little rant that I went on here. But anyway, there's a lot of other things that are edible that I have never eaten myself, but I keep hearing people say, you know, like hostas. Hostas are something that are edible. They're beautiful. I had them in the house, or not in the house. I had them in the landscape at the house that we used to live in in East Texas. And I love the way they look. They put off a real pretty little flower. I'm looking for something in a shady area that nothing else will really seem to grow very well there. And so I've been looking at hostas and hydrangeas. But there's a lot of things that you don't really know are edible. So when you're doing your plant folio or you're looking at your wish list, you may just look at, you may think that something's not edible. You may just say, hey, is this edible? And remember, you got to consider the source. So as long as it's solving a problem, you know, like covering the soil or filling a hole for you that you just don't like looking at, that's a problem, right? If you have a hole in your landscape and it just kind of bothers you, that's a problem. You need to solve that problem. What can you put in there that would be pleasing to you? And maybe it does fulfill a niche. You just haven't really thought about it yet. Like your niche, I don't know. People say niche, they say niche. It's I'm using them interchangeably. But um, maybe it does fulfill a niche. It could be, sometimes I say niche, sometimes I say niche. I don't know why I do that. But um, sometimes it does fulfill a niche. It could be that it's, you know, like hydrangeas, it's bringing in pollinators, right? They're attracted to those little flowers that are all over that plant. 
it actually does a pretty good job of I haven't personally been successful with her hydrangeas. That's I'm on a mission. I'm on a hydrangea quest right now to try to grow hydrangeas. I'm going to grow them again next year. And I ho- I think I just haven't been watering them, watering them enough. I'm kind of a tough love kind of gardener. But anyway, yeah, I, I've seen them successfully grown and they do, they look like they do a pretty good job as maybe an overstory or an understory plant. So it does fulfill a niche. Yeah, if it's something that you want to look at, then just do it. What I'm trying to figure out right now, I started with a blank slate where I am now. I didn't have any kind of existing landscape at all. So I put in a whole bunch of brand new beds and I put down a lot of mulch and I've been really successful. We put in our fruit trees. We were kind of done with phase one which is the bones. It's kind of the skeleton, right? And now I'm looking at really kind of putting on the flesh and the annual vegetables that I grow and not talking about perennials, but the annual vegetables that I grow there, it's perfect to leave a spot to just tuck something in. And I leave a lot of spots because I tuck a lot of some things in, but in looking for these ornamentals, I'm really looking more on the perennial side, something that's going to come back year after year after year that I don't have to plant year after year after year. And here where I live, my understanding is tulips would be that for me. I planted some hyacinths one year and they did that for me. They keep coming back year after year. So I'm not going to be looking at anything that's going to die in the wintertime. I'm really, as a matter of fact, one of the things that I'm looking at is some more winter interest. I'm looking at winter berries. One of the things that I've been doing is I've been watching this girl on YouTube and she does a lot of ornamental stuff and her gardens are just beautiful. She's not really into edible landscaping at all. She does grow some food and some raised beds in a totally segregated part of her land or her yard. And, but I'm not really, I don't believe in throwing the baby out with bathwater. I, just because she's not doing things the way that I want to do them doesn't mean that I won't watch what she's doing, but she does a really good job with ornamentals, with the trees, with the shrubs, with the bulbs. One of the things that I don't plan on doing that she does a lot is she puts in a lot of plants and then she just rips them out and then she goes and buys a lot more. And that's not something that I want to do. I don't really consider that to be real sustainable. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything bad about her. It's just something that she does that I'm going to choose not to do. But again, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater the plant combinations that she has are just stunning. And so I probably will do things a little bit different, but I'm looking at the combinations. What do the textures look like together? What do the um, color combinations look like together? I'm learning a lot about ornamental plants that I just didn't know before or that I just haven't learned anywhere else. So yeah, she's one that I'm really enjoying watching her and she's just as cute as she can be and her and her husband, they it's funny because they've been on their property for the same amount of time that we've been on this property and they had a lot of existing landscape to work with, but she's pulling a lot of stuff out, putting a lot of stuff in and she gives really good demonstrations of what the plant combinations look like. 
but um, the name of her channel is Garden Answer, and she's someone that I'm really looking at right now. But I also like to go look in person when I go on walks through neighborhoods, if I'm staying with my kids or, you know, somewhere else, then I will go, I'll look at the landscape and I'll say, oh, okay, well, that's a pretty combination together. And I've have for years I've been tearing out pictures of magazines and I don't really do that any now, anymore but I have Pinterest to look at. I have other people on YouTube that I can look at. And because we have the internet now, I can virtually go anywhere that I want to go, like Versailles or Monticello or Monet's Garden which actually uh, I'm going to get to see in person this year. I'm so excited. Later on this year, my husband and I are going to Paris. And we're going to go see Versailles. We're going to go see Monet's Garden and a lot of other really cool stuff like that. So more on that later, I'm sure. But right now, I really just want to bring in a lot more winter interest. I'm looking at Winterberry, uh, which I did Google that to see, is it edible? And it says it's not edible for humans, but it is edible to wildlife. So the birds or or whatever comes along and wants to eat that, then it is edible for them. But they just put off this, and I did learn this from that Garden Answer show, and I've seen these before, but I like to cut things and bring them in the house. One of the things that I'm looking at right now is willows. This is something, you know, we got all our fruit trees in. We got peach and plum and pomegranates and cherry and pear and apples and all kinds of stuff. That was phase one. But now I'm really looking at phase two, and that is I known that I want to have some willow trees. So I knew that I wanted to have weeping willow, and we just have all this blank slate area still. We have kind of a pasture area in our front yard. I'm looking at the corkscrew willow because I think it would be really cool if I could cut some of those branches and twigs and bring them in and put them in flower arrangements or even as a standalone arrangement. I'm always intrigued by those kind of curly cue branches. So that's something that I'm interested in. I'm also looking at the pussy willows. Um, they have those white silvery tufts that you'll find in a lot of arrangements. I think they even sell them as fake uh, arrangements like at Hobby Lobby and Michael's in the floral department where they have the fake flowers. Well, um, that's something that is from the pussy willow tree. I'm looking at that tree because I do like bring some things in. As I said before, we're looking at eucalyptus. I did some research. I found that it will grow in my area. That's something else that you can put in flower arrangements. And I got a still this year, and I'm going to be making some essential oils. So that's another reason, though. Even though those things are not edible, they still have their usefulness. So they're, they're ornamental, and they may be medicinal, they could be edible, but there's a lot of things out there that are really pretty that people just don't know that other people eat in other countries. If you see something that you really like, I would just suggest that you just Google it and see, is that edible? Um, is it poisonous? Uh, is it medicinal? Is it something that I can use in a flower arrangement? But I do have some evergreen plants, and I know I've talked about this on the show before. I have rosemary, thyme, sage, oregano, junipers, live oaks. I want to kind of plant more of those to create more of a winter interest. So I'm looking at winter berries. I'm looking at more evergreens. I'm looking at things that have an interesting 
limb or branch if all the leaves do fall off or when the leaves fall off if they're deciduous that means the leaves fall off every winter and then they come back in the summertime or the spring so yeah in the winter it can just kind of get kind of gloomy and I like to walk out of my gardens if I'm walking from the house to the bunkhouse then I want to see pretty things on my way there (laughs) if I'm walking from the house to the chicken coop I want it to be pretty over there if I'm walking from the house to the greenhouse or even in the back part of our property, or even to the mailbox. I want everything to look good, not because I'm putting on a show for other people, but because of the way it makes me feel. When I walk outside and I see something pretty, or as pretty to me, it just makes me feel good. But yeah, that's kind of where I am in my phase of learning right now, is I'm really trying to teach myself more about ornamental plants. I plan on spending some time just walking through the nurseries so I can see them firsthand. And you know the thing that I love about going to a nursery is I can take a plant and put it in my basket and I can set it beside another plant and I can see okay well this is pretty together. So yeah I may be doing some YouTube videos on that where you basically just take everything and you put it together and you kind of look at what it would look like in your landscape. So yeah But it all comes down to this. I don't believe in beating myself up for the road not taken because I haven't taken it yet, but I'm doing it now. Do I wish I knew more than I know now? Always. I always wish that I know more now than I do, but you know, I'm learning and I do enjoy the process. But now that I know the things that are edible, and that will work like for a ground cover. I know which edible substitutes are great replacements for an ornamental shrub. For instance, blueberries are a shrub. They're a woody shrub. I can use that instead of an ornamental shrub plant. But I also, I understand my, my style a whole lot better now than I did before. I understand what color combinations really look good to me. I understand what texture combinations are appealing to me. I understand what, because I've been growing it, I understand what okra and zucchini looks like in the landscape. So now I can make a better informed decision. Okay, well, this will look pretty with that. And that's what I talked about last week in the last episode was that clarity comes from engagement. It's only because I've been growing a lot of food a lot of herbs, a lot of veggies, a lot of fruits, that now I can make those kinds of decisions in replacement of something ornamental, or I can bring in something ornamental. Mostly for me, it's a matter of what it looks like and it being perennial. But that's all for this episode. If you want to hear more about how to grow your own food in a beautiful landscape, then click that subscribe button. And be sure to check out the show notes at edifilgardens.com. This is where I'll post updates on this subject from time to time. Like if I forget to put something in the actual podcast, the actual voice recording, I'll go ahead and add to the post at ediblegardens.com. And don't forget to check out the starter guide for creating your own edible landscape. It's at ediblegardens.com forward slash start. This is a three-step process with pictures and everything in a PDF, and it's so easy, and it's so doable, and it's completely free. And you know, I told you I'm on a mission to make good food accessible to everyone. This is the best way that I know that I can help 
is just to say, this is how you can start. And it's so easy. And it's just three very easy, doable steps. And remember, this podcast is dedicated to you so that we can all put good food on the table. Until next week, bye for now.